that. So open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 11. You know, I had a team worker back in the day. I don't know why I use that phrase because, well, I'm not that old, but I'm going to use it. I had a teen worker back in the day who who loved going to movies. And so for our D time, we we would often go to movies. Now, you're now starting to see where I get it from. Yes, so this is what we did. But we wouldn't get to the movies right on time. We'd get there early. And we wouldn't get there early to save seats. We'd get there early for the previews. And not just the previews in our movie, we'd make sure we'd go see three other theaters and, because we wanted to see all the trailers for what was coming out. Now we have the internet. Now I just dated myself. So before, that, that's what we do. We, we wanted to see. And, and the trailers, they were, they were like the hype video for the movie. I mean, this is going to make or break if I'm going to see this. And so we'd walk in, and and sure enough, we'd want to see uh, different styles of movies so we could see different styles of trailers. And then afterwards, we we would go see ours. And it was was interesting just to to be able to sit there and go, okay, you've got two minutes to impress me. (laughs) I'm either going to see this movie or I'm not going to see this movie. And it's going to probably come down to the two minutes that I've got. But now, you know, nowadays, you watch a trailer online a hundred times. Christian and I have spent many two many hours looking at kind of the Avengers 4, I don't know, theme boards and all these different things. It's, it's probably not good. But, but before, you just, you just go. And you hope that the, the hype lived up to, you know, the anticipation. You, you hoped. It, it lived up to it. You know, it's interesting because when you look at the scriptures and you read the Old Testament, essentially that's a hype video for Jesus. That's exactly what it is. It, this, there's this hype being built on, on the one to come. And in fact, an expectation has started to build on Jesus, the one who come in. Some actually believed he would be the earthly king. He would be a political figure that would come and take a stand and, and, and destroy the enemies and, and take over and rule in this world. That's what they believed. But yet when we see Jesus, he did not do that. And that didn't excite a lot of people that were waiting for the Son of Man. They were frustrated. They were angry, and we see even, you know, killed him. And it led a lot to ask this question. Was Jesus the wrong Savior? Was he the wrong guy? And that's going to be the title of my lesson today. The wrong Savior. Because I think so oftentimes we have an expectation of what Jesus is supposed to be. And in fact, we have a vision in our mind of what he's supposed to look like. And when he doesn't perform the way we've dreamed it out, we ask ourselves, is Jesus the right Savior for me? So today we're going to do a deep dive into Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to look at someone who for a brief moment had this thought. So before we dive in, this got a little context Jesus had just sent out his 12 disciples. So it's him. And he decides not to sit alone. Well, they're gone. I'll sit here and wait. No. He's like, I've got a few things that I want to do. And I love that about Jesus. He never asked anyone to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. You go, so will I. You do this, so will I. You're going to be persecuted. Don't worry. So will I. 
He never asked anyone to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. And so we have this moment where we see Jesus in the trenches in a, in a discussion, and this comes out in Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or, or should we expect someone else? So John the Baptist is, is who they're referring to here. John the Baptist is in prison. We don't know how long he's been in prison at this point. But if you were in a Roman prison, you were not in a good situation. This may seem like, you know, an understatement, but prison was terrible. Okay, yeah, there you go. No food at the time. You didn't get fed. You had to rely on people to bring you food, water for survival. In fact, we see in Second, or uh, yeah, in Second Timothy, Paul asked for someone to bring him his cloak because he's getting cold. They weren't going to take care of him. You had to rely on your friends and your family. And so here we have John the Baptist. And, uh, John the Baptist, and, and as he's there, his people are coming to him. And telling them stories about what's going on. And they start to tell these stories about Jesus. What Jesus is doing. How he's helping people. And John doesn't get as excited as we think he should. You know, this is the same John that told the prophecies of Jesus who was coming. And this Jesus that approached John. John didn't feel worthy to even baptize him because he knew he was the son of man. I'm not worthy to even hold your sandals. I'm not worthy to be near you. And this was the same Jesus that, that when John did actually baptize him, the heavens opened up and God says, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is the same Jesus that John told his disciples to follow. This was his cousin. And he's like, I got some doubts about you. He'd already seen God go, yeah, this is the right guy. And now he's, he's starting to doubt. Wait, but, but Jesus isn't doing what I thought he was going to do. He, John had been proclaiming Jesus coming. He had been put in jail, which was essentially going to be a death sentence for this Jesus. And now Jesus wasn't working out the way he thought it would. And so John became nervous. And he sends his disciples, hey, are you the right guy? Did I get this right? <laughs> I'm really hoping I got this right. I literally gave up everything for this. And, and look how Jesus responds. Matthew uh, 3, we see this, or sorry, not Jesus. We, we see John talking about this. I, I baptized you with water. This is interact, uh, interaction that John has. But one but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. John didn't want Jesus to come and heal people. He wanted to come and destroy everybody. That was his vision. He was going to wipe out all the evil people. Jesus was going to come on the scene, bring a hammer, and then change the world. But that's not what Jesus had been doing. He had been healing. He had been comforting. 
He'd been teaching. He'd been helping those who could not help themselves. Jesus was not doing the things that John thought he was going to do. See, Jesus doesn't always do what we expect him to do. That's why I think it's so funny when we start to assume we know what Jesus wants from our lives. <laughs> we have no idea. We can guess. We can follow the scriptures. Well, but when we start to assume, I, I think we make a fool of ourselves. Because the way Jesus approaches things is way better and way bigger than many of us can op- comprehend. So here we have John in prison, hearing all that Jesus is doing, and doubt starts to enter his mind. John begins to doubt the very person he saw God proclaim was his son because he wasn't doing what he believed. So look how Jesus responds. Verse 4 of Matthew 11, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, I like to think of Jesus as kind of like a Bible nerd. Because when you look at this passage, he responds to John by quoting scripture. In fact, it's a combination of Isaiah 29, 35, 42, and, and 61. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed. To the poor. Essentially, what Jesus tells John is he's not the Savior that John believed he would be, but he is the Savior that the Scripture proclaimed him to be. Yeah. I am who you've been waiting for. I'm exactly the right guy. John thought Jesus would bring the hammer that would crush the nations, and instead, the Son of Man came in the form of a healer came in the form of a servant, came in the form of someone who was going to help us. John had a vision of what the Savior should look like, but Jesus' idea was better. Yeah. I think the challenge for us, I believe, is we need to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. Yeah. And we can only truly do this if we make the decision to grow ourselves. Yeah. Just to speak plainly, It's not a good thing if we're not growing. In fact, it's kind of a scary thing if we're not growing. I've been so encouraged to have uh, Titus here on on Sunday with us. Baby Titus Galmore. He's such a joy to have around. He has softened Josh's heart so much, and we are grateful. (laughs) And, you know, recently I was having a conversation with Josh, and, and he told me that they took Titus to the doctor for a checkup. And the doctor grabs Titus and is looking at him and the doctor becomes concerned because Titus isn't growing at the rate he should be growing. So the doctor says, we need to fix this. They put a plan in place. They're doing everything they can to get Titus at the point where he can be growing healthily in the right way. The doctor looks at Titus and says, you need to do this and they need to help. And he's doing great. But they see a concern and so they react. When a doctor sees someone not growing, they react. When God sees you not growing, he reacts. And I think we forget that. I think we get too comfortable and content with where we are spiritually. 
I am doing well enough. I don't think that's what God had intended for you when he created you. To just be doing well enough. To just get by. God's plan was to see you do great things for him. But if we're going to do that, we have to make a decision that we're going to grow. Are you willing to put in the work? I hope so. You know, John had to grow in order to understand the Savior. He had a vision, and it was incorrect. And so Jesus had to set him straight. No, this is what I was called to do. So John had to grow. You know, because what happened for a while is John, I believe, started to not trust or or doubt Jesus. And I don't think John wanted it this way. I mean, I think John, I mean, he was willing to go to prison. He was willing to sacrifice his own life for this. But the visions he saw, the, the interpretation of Jesus that he thought would come was different than what actually came, and he needed to grow. You know, I think Jesus wasn't living up to John's expectations. And when Jesus didn't live up to John's expectations, John became disappointed. My guess is there's been times in which we've played a situation out in our mind, expected Jesus to do something in a way more extreme way than he actually did. We have a dream of him crushing our enemies or repaying the evil that has been done against us. And we just, we have this finish. Jesus, get him! (laughs) Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord! Get him! You know? And, and, And then it doesn't happen. You're like, What? I was banking on that. And we get disappointed in God. We get disappointed in Jesus. And what we realize during this time is we have hidden expectations that we really didn't know until they were exposed. We have these hidden expectations of Jesus. You know, I have this rule when it comes to action movies. Okay, some of you know it. The lower the score on Rotten Tomato, the better the movie will probably be. So if I go online and I see a 25 on Rotten Tomato, I kind of get psyched. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Because people bring down the ratings. They're like, well, the dialogue wasn't good. The storyline was terrible. Do you really think I'm going to see a story? I want to see something blow up. The more, the better, right? So when I see the low ratings, my expectations get really high. And, and I get excited. I'm like, we're going to see this midnight premiere. Let's do it. And, and, and I kind of get excited. And so when the movie oftentimes is inevitably terrible, I'm like, I can't believe it. <laughs> Everybody knew it was terrible. Everybody says it was terrible. I just, I, I didn't want to believe it because I put these weird expectations on the film. And, you know, the funny thing is, is we do this with God. We have no scriptural basis for our expectations. It's just our thoughts. It's our feelings. And we put them on God. And then when they don't happen, we're like, God, where were you? He goes, right here. (laughs) The whole time. I'm doing exactly what I said I'd do. No, but you're supposed to do more for me. I I sent my son. You know, that was good, right? You know, but I think we, we just start to have these hidden expectations. So here's a question. I seriously want you to consider if Jesus isn't going to make all of our dreams come true. If he's going to allow hardships, 
if he's going to not answer the prayers in the way that we want them answered, then why should we follow him? Why should we follow him? So I'm going to put a pin in that and we'll come back. John was in prison and he was going to be this way for the rest of his life. He had given up everything to proclaim the Messiah and now he wasn't sure if he backed the right horse. And, but look what Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in, in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell, you, and, uh, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, John doubts Jesus. But never once does Jesus doubt John. <coughs> he has complete faith, complete confidence in who he is. And, and he takes the time to talk about John the Baptist. He asks the people, he goes, who did you come to see? A, a reed being swayed by the wind? Did you come to see some pushover? No. John was not a pushover. This guy willingly chose to sacrifice the luxuries of life by wearing camel skin, eating crickets, and just kind of chilling out in the desert. He's not a pushover. It says he ate wild honey. Do you know where honey comes from? Bees. He fought bees for his food. He's not a pushover. And they knew that. They knew that about him. They didn't come to see that. He goes, who are you coming to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Basically what he says, did you come to see a fancy man? A well-dressed, kind of silver spoon-fed, kind of basically a mama's boy? He's like, no, those people hang out in the king's palace. It's like, dang, so now he throws the king under the bus. That's what Jesus is doing. He goes, is that what you expected? He goes, no, you didn't expect that. You knew who he was when you had him. You knew exactly who he was. He was a man of conviction. And he was a prophet. But he wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet of prophets. He was the prophet that all other prophets were proclaiming. John was the man that got to announce the Messiah. That, that was the greatest thing a prophet could ask for. That he gets to announce the Messiah. He goes, there, was no, there is no one greater than John. Wow. Except. He says, except. Whoever's the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And, and it's kind of this weird turn. See, the thing with John is he was great. He, he was a man's man. He, he was on another <laughs> level spiritually than any of us could ever really comprehend. But he didn't get to do one thing that everybody else was going to do. And that was going to see the resurrection. He wasn't going to witness Jesus fulfilling his prophecy. So all of these, the people there that would live to see it, would be greater than John because they got to be a part of it. He goes, that's what you don't understand about what's going on here. 
And he moves forward in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. And John was, had a firsthand experience of that violence. Here's the reality. John's going to die in prison. He's not ever going to see or witness the birth of the things he was announcing. Jesus is going to face violent opposition for his message. And it's going to come from very unique people. It's come from the Bible teachers are going to bring the violent oppositions. The people who ran the temple, the the religious leaders of the day were going to bring the violent opposition. These weren't the people that were supposed to, but these are the people that beheaded John, that violently opposed Jesus, and ultimately (coughs) crucified him. But here's what I find interesting. Just because we see this violence, that doesn't mean the plan of Jesus had fallen off track. See, see, if you're an outsider looking at all this, you go, oh, looks like Jesus failed. Looks like John's plan had failed. They died. And that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, are you listening? Listen to this. This is important. Listen to this. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And so he says, look, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what you are like. He's telling the people they are all like children. Like children who play music and they play their instruments and nobody dances. Or they're singing at a funeral and there's nobody mourning. Nobody paying attention. So what do the children do in those situations? They get angry. They throw fits. They get upset. People had an expectation, the people of that world, they had an expectation of what John was supposed to be, about who the Son of God was supposed to be. And since they weren't, people became angry. And they became violently opposed to their message. They got mad at John for not being social, and hanging out in the desert. And then they got mad at Jesus for being social and hanging out with the wrong crowd. It's kind of one of those situations you feel like you just can't win, just can't do anything to make you happy. You ever feel like you have people in your life like that? You're like, there's nothing I can do to make this person happy. I've tried this, they said no. I tried this, they said no. I'm going to stand here until something changes. I've given up pretty much. At this point, they they could not be pleased. And you know, the sad thing is oftentimes we're this way with God. No matter what he does for us, we always seem to find a reason to become angry or bitter. Because we have presented and, and projected 
this expectation, this, this dream of what God should be. And when it doesn't come through, no matter how grand that Jesus comes through for us, because it wasn't exactly the way we called it, we get angry and we get upset. And that's exactly how the religious leaders were. They couldn't be made happy because they had an idea of what was supposed to happen and it didn't happen. But look how this, this section closes. It's a very cryptic statement by Jesus. It says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Wisdom is proved not by what you know, but, but by what plays out in reality. So essentially, how the things will play out will, will show the truth of the wise. So let's pause for a moment. What's going to happen? Well, about three chapters from now, John is going to have his head chopped off. Jesus is going to face opposition, and then eventually he's going to be crucified. And it says wisdom will be proven right by her deeds. Many people of that day, and maybe even today, will look at these people dying and say clearly it was a failure. They could have done so much more. But then Jesus goes, pay attention. Are you listening? Are you seeing what I'm about to do? Some people saw Jesus' death as a failure. Jesus saw it as a necessity. Something he had to do to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because, you know, what we see is the religious leaders, in fact, even people today, they're focused on the bad people. It's this idea of we want to crush our enemies. But that's not Jesus' perspective at all. He wasn't focused on the bad guys. He was focused on the darkness that we couldn't see. He, he was focused on destroying sin altogether and, and eradicating it from this world. This, this spiritual evil that had been hijacking human hearts for eternity up until that point. He's like, I'd had enough. I'm done with it. And that's who I'm coming for. You can kill me. You can oppose me. You can do whatever you want. I'm not focused on you. I'm, I'm focused on Satan. I'm focused on the evil that you don't even understand. Jesus didn't come to solve everyone's problems but he came to be the embodiment of God's love by joining us in human form. He wanted, us to he wanted to be able to understand us, so he humanized himself, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant so he could face that human suffering, so he could understand and sympathize with our weaknesses, sympathize with our struggles. And Jesus had a plan to conquer that evil. But what it meant was allowing evil to conquer him. And by doing this, evil would exhaust all its power because it had to focus all its energy on Jesus. So why did he do this? Why did Jesus approach it this way? Well, let's listen to his words. John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He knew if he healed people, 
they'd get sick again. He knew if he met the needs, there would be more needs. Those fixes were temporary. And Jesus wasn't focused on temporary things. He was focused on you and I having a relationship with his father eternally. He was focused on things we could not understand. So why didn't he continue to solve all the problems? Because it wasn't about that. This is a story about a God that is absolutely committed to his children. God loves us so much. He has more, he was more focused on our long-term support than our short. We're going to have our trials and and weaknesses and hardships, and and he understands that. He sympathizes with that, but he's concerned about your long-term health, about walking with him in paradise one day. So this brings us back to our uh, initial question, why should I follow Jesus? Following Jesus isn't the key to success in our life or the key to all of our problems being answered. We're going to have extreme highs and and extreme lows. We're going to have these victories that are wonderful. And we're going to have some tragedies that are hard to overcome. And we have no guarantee that Jesus will prevent us from suffering. So what's the point? Show Show me any religious view, worldview, where at its heart, a leader would do something as monumental as this, humanizing himself so he could take part in our sufferings, so he can understand us and what we go through, so he can sympathize with us, so he can walk with us, and eventually willing to lay down his life for us. Jesus didn't tell us where to go. He came down to earth and walked with us to show us the way. And that's the difference. So why do I follow him? Because, wow, he loves me. (laughs) And he's made that abundantly clear with everything he's ever done. Jesus is absolutely in love with each and every one of us. We follow him because he knows what's best for us, even when we don't think so. We know he's focused on our long-term survival and not our short-term. And for me, this means I need to be okay with doing the things even though Jesus may have a different plan for me. I've got my plan, and well, Jesus has got something else, and I've just got to be okay with that. Many people could look at Jesus and go, this is the wrong Savior. He was supposed to do greater things. He was supposed to destroy them all. Now, that wasn't Jesus' plan. In fact, it was the opposite. Jesus' plan was to save them all and willing to give up his life to do so. Jesus is not the wrong Savior. He's, the right, he's not just the right Savior either. He, he's the only one. Right. Because he's the only God who actually cares about saving us. Amen? Amen. Thank you. <coughs>